Hey, take your Bibles and join me in the New Testament of the book of Titus this morning. Titus chapter 2. And uh, I, I want to speak to this subject. What's the influence? What's the role in the influence of the older generations in the church, right? Now, I grew up in church, you know, we'd say we'd, we'd, adult ministry has been called everything under the sun, you know, the XYZ group and the, the joy group, just older youth. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've called it a little bit of everything. But I like the phrase here that, that the Apostle Paul used when he speaks of the older men and the older women in the church. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, this just doesn't apply to me this morning. Well, hold on. We'll all, we'll all mature to one day it will apply to us, all right? So Titus chapter 2, let me invite you, if you are physically able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning, and we're going to read the first eight verses in Titus chapter 2. Paul writing to Titus, he says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. God in heaven, these are the pages of your scriptures. These are your words to us. So give us ears to hear. Give us a faith to believe and a will to respond to you and trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, it's been said that there are really only three stages of life. There's youth, there's adulthood, and then there's, well, my, aren't you looking well? And when they start saying that to you, you know what stage of life you're in. As someone has said, it's a shame that youth was wasted on people so young, right? I've often thought now on this side of, of, of life, um, Man, if I could have known then what I know now, or if I could have the energy now that I had then, it would be like the perfect combination in my life, you know? My teenagers, if they'd have been teenagers when I was younger, my energy level would be completely different, right? Now listen, there are some negative aspects to getting old. I mean, it's true. We become creatures of habit, right? We do things for so long, it just kind of becomes second nature to us. Even sometimes sin in our life, um can become a part of the fabric. We don't even recognize sometimes things that we're doing or saying or thinking that, that really are against, against the truth of Scripture. And sometimes maybe as we get a little older, we get a little bit obstinate, okay? I, I, hear, I hear this statement, and, and my dad's not here, and I don't know if he'll catch this online, so I'm going to say it because he's not here, all right? My dad has said things like this, all right? He goes, hey, he said, I, I've lived long enough that, that I've earned the right to just say what I'm thinking. And I thought, whoa, hold on a second. You know, you got a Bible verse that backs that up. Like there's nowhere in the Bible that says just because we're a certain age, we can get, say whatever we want to and get away with whatever we want to, right? You never have the right to, be, to, 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 to do that. And so sometimes though, uh, you know, we think that we've got it all figured out just because we've reached a certain age that somehow we have all the wisdom in the world. And I mean, growing older should bring wisdom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, right? I mean, I know a lot of, of older people that think like a child and a lot, of young, a lot of younger people that have wisdom beyond their age, right? And so it can happen in that way. And so Paul's letter here to Titus 
in chapter 2, he's dealing with the character of a healthy church. And so if you've got the note-taking guide, there's two little blanks at the top. And here's, I'm going to give them to you at the beginning. We're talking about expectations and influence. The expectations that God has of our generation and the influence then that we should be having on the generations following behind us. So Paul's really talking about the expectations and the influence of the older generation. In chapter 1 of the book of Titus, Paul is dealing with the church leadership. What a healthy church leadership, what a healthy eldership should look like in the life of a church. And then just real naturally out of that, he goes in into chapter 2 to say, now listen, the people, the members, the body of Christ ought to look and act like this then. And so all those who know Christ, all those who have walked with him for any length of time, it puts us in a situation where we should have accumulated life experience and spiritual experience and spiritual wisdom, which makes us truly rich, right? I mean, we ought to be able to say that the longer that we walk with Christ, the more rich our life has become because of the truth that is invested in us and because of the work of God in our lives. It should enable us to be leaders and mentors in the life of the church. And you know, in the life of the church, it's really important to have godly older persons in the church. I think that a healthy New Testament church will be multi-generational. You, you see John writing in his letter, 1 John, he writes what? To the old men, to the young men, and to the children. And so he's speaking to multi-generations inside of that local fellowship. And so that's what Paul is saying to Titus. And so he's saying, to, he says, look, as you look at your congregation, Titus, you need to start your instruction with the older people because they are so crucial to the health and the life of the church. Someone who has walked a long time in the path of righteousness is a treasure. I mean, you're a treasure of wisdom and a treasure of experience and a treasure of understanding. Someone who has experienced everything that the younger generations are still waiting. Like, they don't know what they don't know. Just like you and I didn't know what we don't know, right? And so there's just some things you try to tell, particularly tell, you know, younger people sometimes, and they just look at you like a calf staring in a new gate. They're like, what? That doesn't make sense. And you go, well, it doesn't make sense to you because, but one day it will. You know, and these are the conversations we have with our children. Hey, listen, I know you don't believe me, but just trust me, one day this is going to make sense. My dad had those conversations with me, and now I'm having those conversations with my children. I see my father in me, right? So older people then in a church become a treasure, become a tremendous blessing. You bring spiritual experience and strength and wisdom to all of us. And if in the years of the head the church has an abundance of such godly older people, what a blessing it would be but only if you walk in the path of righteousness. And that's why the instruction of Titus here is so critically important. I mean, think about it. There's no real value in being older if we're not going to be godly. I mean, a young knucklehead and an old knucklehead are both just knuckleheads. Just one's just more stubborn and one's more daring than the other. I mean, it's just really about the only difference in the two, right? So there's really no value in, in gaining the age if we don't gain the godly wisdom that comes along with it that we would be a godly influence and example for those behind us. Otherwise, we've wasted all of that living. And so the Apostle Paul lays down some very specific characteristics that are to be evidenced in the older generation's in the church. 
And so chapter one focused on the character of the pastors, the elders, and now here in chapter two, he's dealing with the congregation, the people. And so these are not optional, right? We come to scripture. Scripture is the, is the authoritative word of God. It is, when, when it is God spoken to us. It is his truth, right? We would say this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, right? So the scriptures are authoritative. So this is not like the buffet at the restaurant where you can kind of pick and choose what it is you like and what it is that you want. You know, I'll take a little of this. I don't like that, so that's not for me. No, 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 no. You like it or lump it, it's all there together, right? It's all authoritative in our life because it is rooted in the character and the person of God. So these are not negotiable. If the church is to have a powerful impact on the world, if the church is to fulfill the Great Commission mandate, then Paul says that the older generations must be like this in order to demonstrate God's saving power. So what we're going to say here is mandatory for us as we gain age and become older in the life of the church, right? And I think a lot of times we've defined morality kind of on a sense of human goodness. I grew up in a in a context, in a religious church context, that you were a good person and you were a good boy, you know, if you could say, hey, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't run around with girls who do. I mean, that was kind of the, that was kind of the, the mantra there that said, okay, he's a good boy, right? But, but Paul says, listen, there, there's, there's a godliness that ought to come up out of a walk with Christ. Let's look at the men first. Now, listen, ladies, hold on just a second, because we're going to be equal opportunists this morning, but we're going to start with the knucklehead. I mean, we're going to start with the men first. Okay, because that's how the text does it, right? So Paul says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and in perseverance. Now, these older men, that's an interesting term, right? You got to be careful. You start talking about old people, young people, start using adjectives that define and characterize and whatever. It's an interesting term that just simply means older. Uh, most ancient sources seem to indicate that it would refer to people that are over the age of 50. Somewhere in the 50 to 60 plus category is who Paul is, is talking to here. And so the apostle Paul was an old man in his own life and by this time in his 60s. So somewhere beyond 50, I think we could say, is where this application of older begins to, to really play in. So we're talking about that generation of men in the life of the church. These men are called to be spiritually responsible and to demonstrate godly character. And so the older men are to be respected, but they're also to be holy, right? And so when they are, when the older men in the church are holy, godly men, then they become mentors and models of a level of godliness that will then pervade the congregation. To a certain degree, we could say that the health of the church rises and falls on the spiritual maturity and spiritual leadership of the men in the church and in the home. So every older man should set as his goal to come to the latter years of life and to say, as Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Every older man ought to be able to say, I want you to be a follower of me as I am a follower of Christ. Every older man should be able to say to, the, to a younger man, let me show you how to live life. Doesn't mean that we have all of the answers. Doesn't mean that we got it right all of the time. I tell people all the time, I have more questions than I have answers and I have more things to tell you of what not to do than what to do. But there ought to be a sense of godliness and walking with Jesus to be able for an older generation to say to a younger generation, listen, I've been there and as I walk through, let me tell you how I found the character and the nature of God to be so faithful and so consistent. And let me share with you how God walked me through it. 
We ought to have that testimony in our lives. I was having a conversation with my dad recently. And my dad is my earthly hero. I mean, I, I just, I, I'm blessed to have had that kind of relationship with my father. I mean, I'm still like a kid on the night before Christmas when my parents are coming to visit. I mean, like the, my kids, their grandchildren are excited that Nana and Papa are coming, but I think I'm more excited. Not because they're bringing me anything. All the gifts are coming for the grandkids, right? But I get to spend time with my dad. I just, I love that, right? So I'm having this conversation with my dad. And I said to him, I said, he, he said, you know what? He said, he said, Michael, he said, I just don't really feel like the younger people in the church want to hear anything that we have to say. And he said, it's just so different. He said, it's a different time. He said, when your mom and I were raising children, he said, it was different. And he said, the, the way that the young parents parent their children now, he said, it's just different. I said, well, dad, different doesn't mean bad. It just means different. And he said, well, they just have a different point of view, a different worldview in the way in which they approach it. My mom said this, she said, it's going, um, she said, it's going to, 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 to come to a point, she said, where I can't even go grocery shopping anymore. I said, do what? My mother, um, she has a cell phone. Don't call her. She's not going to answer it. It's never on. You know, I got a text message one day for, it said, Evelyn Stovall. I nearly fell out of my chair. I thought someone has, someone has kidnapped my mother and stolen her phone and they're using her phone. I replied back to the text message. Here we are 13 months later. I'm still waiting for a reply to my reply to her text message. Now at our house, my wife loves the fact that she does not have to drag kids to the grocery store anymore and fight them trying to put everything in there. I mean, if you try to take four kids to the grocery store, how fun is that? No, I mean, it's like just gouge my eye out and get it over with kind of thing, right? So my wife loves it that she can make her grocery list. She can sit down and she can go online and she can order it. And then she that tells her, hey, bing, your groceries are ready. She can pull up, back up, never gets out of the car. They load it into the car and she comes home, grocery shopping done, 20 minutes. My mother, on the other hand, is like, if they do away with going in the store, I'm not going to be able to grocery shop. As older men, we have, you, you have so much to offer. Paul, first of all, suggests three characteristics. He said to be temperate, to be dignified, and to be sensible. Let's take them very quickly, all together, one at a time. The word temperate literally means clear-headed. The older man is a man who isn't living in excess. When he was young, it was a matter of accumulating stuff. But as he accumulated, he began to realize what really had value. As a young man, he poured his energy into a lot of things. As an older man, he looks back and sees where he probably wasted a lot of energy and should have been more focused in the things that he was really gifted and skilled at. He has come to a right value system. In other words, he's got his priorities down. He knows what experiences are valuable. And in many cases, they were the ones that he feared the most. The path of least resistance never accomplishes godliness. And so the temperate man now knows that. And he's filtered life out. Younger men, men need to see this and hear the testimonies so that they would be emboldened to be courageous in their faith and obedience when our children were younger, and, I, and my kids are still relatively young compared to, the, you know, the average age in this room today, 17, 15, 11, and 9, okay? But my daughter is 17. She's a junior in high school, and it was like yesterday that she was being born, right? And all of you tried to tell me, they're going to grow up so fast, enjoy every little stage. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. All I could think of was, dear God in heaven, can we please get out of formula? 
can we please stop having to buy diapers, you know? Then when you could sit her down and she would sit up, right? She could hold herself up and you could leave the room and come back and she was still there. And then one day I sat her down and came back and she wasn't there anymore. She started becoming mobile. And for 16 years now, she's been mobile and I've been in trouble. But an older generation tried to tell me that, that it was going to pass so fast. But I was so consumed in the midst of trying to deal with, with, with midnight and 2 a.m. feedings and formula and bottles and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and, and I was, we were so consumed with that that we couldn't see the forest for the trees. A younger generation of men need to hear and need to see a godly example of what it means to be clear-headed and to have right values and right priorities. I wish to God that I could go back and redo the last 10 years. I'd do things so differently. I'd say no to a lot more people and a lot more things, and I'd pour myself a lot more into my kids and my family. Very often when men come to this older stage in life, they now know what has real value and what relationships were really important. You can help younger men, particularly if they're in a, in, a, in a field of work or career that you were in, you can help them to understand how to navigate that thing without getting trapped in the, uh, in the, in the, in the ladder climbing process. I mean, it's like the father who sits down with his children and says, listen, I know you don't understand why you're just going to have to trust me on this. You can't do this right now. I know you, I know you can't do it. And I know you don't understand why you're just going to have to trust me. I've been there and one day you'll understand. Secondly, these men are to be dignified. Literally means to be serious, to be worthy of respect. It doesn't mean that they're boring, gloomy people. Serious doesn't mean boring. Serious means serious, right? They're not to be flippant. They're to be serious in life. They've lived long enough to see that life is a very serious thing. They've seen too much and felt too much of the trivial. They've buried their parents in many cases. They've buried their sisters and their brothers. They've stood in hospital waiting rooms while those that they loved passed. They've been waiting for the surgeon to come out and explain what's happening to the, in the surgery with their loved one. They've seen it all. They've felt it all. They've borne the burdens of their own life and family and the burdens of other people of whom they've shared life. And they have a serious understanding of life. This is what Paul says. Listen, we need godly men that are temperate, that are clear-headed, that have a clear, healthy view of life, but also are serious, understand the reality, and have walked through those things and could speak with truth into it. And the third thing he says about these older men is that they should be sensible. This means they have discretion and discernment. Now, that only comes with age. They've experienced it all. They've learned which hills are worth dying on. Young men need to learn this. Young men need help discerning the struggles of life. Every issue is not something worth dying over. And see, these qualities of being temperate and dignified and sensible, they should replace the qualities of youth. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? He said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But he said, but one day I grew up. That's what needs to happen. But a younger generation needs to see what that looks like. Then there are three positive virtues that he sums us up with about men. He said they ought to be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. First, they ought to be sound in faith. They have a spiritual faith that's healthy, whole, sound. What does that mean? It means that their faith in God is unwavering. The 50, 60, 70, 80 years that they've lived and walked with Christ, they have trust, come to know God and that God is to be trusted. 
They never lose their trust in God. They never lose their confidence in God's plans. They never lose their hope for God's sovereignty to fill it all out. They never doubt the truth of Scripture. They never question the power of the Holy Spirit. They never question whether the gospel can save. They know because they've seen it. They've ta- you've taken God at his word and you've lived like it. You had a sound faith. Not perfect people, but real people. Real people living a real faith in a real world. Secondly, he says you ought to be healthy in love. I mean, certainly a love toward God and toward others. I mean, the saddest thing is to see people grow old and get bitter. I mean, here Paul says is a man who loves sacrificially. He doesn't love out of emotion, but he loves because it's the right thing to do. He loves with his will, not just his feelings. I mean, part of growing older is that we just don't do everything by our feelings. And then there's the third thing that he says, to be sound in perseverance. This is a man who's been through the trials. He has suffered enough and he knows. He's to be a model of patience. He's been through it all. He has the courage as a result of it. He never loses heart in spite of disappointment. He never loses heart in spite of unfilled aspirations. The godly man becomes tempered like steel and becomes strong. These things in the life of an older man, Paul says, makes the gospel of Jesus shine. He said all of this, why? Look in verse 8. So that the opponent would be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Then in verse 3, there's this really fun word that says likewise. Likewise, the women, the older women. In the same way, Paul says, the older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, and teaching what is good. So Paul suggests, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there are several qualities that ought to mark the older women in the church. The older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Now, in the Greek New Testament, that's one word. It's only used here at this point in the Bible, and it's one word that literally means to be priest-like. So it says the women ought to be reverent in their behavior. They ought to be priest-like. So what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean for a woman to be priest-like? It's a great question. In other words, they're to be holy. It's the kind of woman who should have access to God. They're the kind of women who enter God's holy presence. These are what I always think of as the prayer warrior ladies in the church. These are the women that I think of that when you need the hounds of heaven brought down upon something, these are the ladies that know what it means to get before Almighty God and to pour out and to cry out and to pray and to trust God. Then he says, secondly, the older women should not be malicious gossips. Now, the word that's translated here for malicious gossips is the Greek word, Diabolos. Now, I, I mention that only so you can hear what's going on here. 34 times in the New Testament, do you know what the word Diabolus or who the name Diabolus refers to? That's the devil, Satan. So there is nothing more Satan-like than being a malicious gossip. I mean, Jesus said, did what? Said, you The devil is the father of all lies. And then he told him, he said, you're like your father. (laughs) 
So whereas men tend to sin and react violently or physically, women have a tendency to be rough or violent in their words. Satan is a malicious slanderer. And so Paul says the older women should not be Satan-like. The older women should not vent their depravity through their speech. And then thirdly, he says that the older women should not be enslaved. Or Let's just read the, read the text there. We reverent their behavior, not much gossip, nor enslaved to much wine. So the word here uh, is, is a strong term that refers to a drunken state. And so Paul says, your older women are not to do that. They're not to be that way. Your women don't need to become slaves. You cannot fill a spiritual need with a physical substance. And so these older believers are not to become drunkard, but rather, drunkards, but rather they are to maintain their, their sense, senses. And then he wraps it up here at the end with a positive trait. He says that they are to what? Teaching what is good. Older women have a positive duty and responsibility. Think about it here. They're to be teaching what is good. The older women need to be teaching. And but that, who do they need to be teaching? Well, keep reading there so that they may what? That they may encourage the young women to do what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. There is a responsibility for older men to disciple younger men and for older women to disciple younger women. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. And so the older women, are who they'd be teaching? The younger women. I mean, think about it. When Trisha and I got married, we will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary in May. When we got married, nobody talked to either one of us about what marriage really meant. I, I didn't have anybody sit down and talk to me about what it meant to be a husband. There, the, Trisha had nobody sit down and talk to her about the, the duties and the obligations and the responsibilities and the expectations of being a wife. I mean, they just said, look, you take who you are, you take who you are, y'all, and y'all go be who you're going to be. I mean, that's about the essence of it, right? Now, I probably wouldn't have believed everything that you would have told me. But there's some things you could have helped me with. No woman knows how to be a mother without some experience. So how about instead of we make fun of or, or ridicule or gossip about their children, how they do or don't behave in certain contexts or what the mother, how she dressed them or how she dressed herself. How about we just come alongside and say, hey, how can I help you? Right? So to older people, Paul says, so that you would not cause the dishonoring of God's word, so that the, you would not give the opponent something bad to say about the church, and so that you're not the cause of people doubting God's saving power. Paul says, live like this. This is what it ought to look like. This is what our obligation... I mean, if we were to take and say, what's our job description? What, what is our role responsibility? Paul just laid it out right there. Old men, older men... Be like this. Older women, be like this. Live it out, flesh it out, influence another generation. 
A lot is at stake, and the older generation has so much to offer. I mean, you're a powerful force in the church. The church needs you. The community needs you. The younger generation needs you. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead Israel. And Moses gave a lot of excuses about why he couldn't be a good leader, but he never used his age as an excuse. Do not underestimate the capability of a holy sovereign God using your surrendered life to make an influence for the gospel and the fame and the glory of Jesus as you live out your faith. So there's expectations of us. If you want to be an influence for Christ, expectations and influence. So let me, let me give you, let's walk this thing out, right? I think there's some little bullet points there. Here they are. The younger generation wants your help. Now, you may feel like my dad say, no, they don't. They don't want to listen to us. They do. They need your wisdom. We need your wisdom. They don't want to be lectured, and they don't want to be stereotyped. Do you know who that reminds me of? That reminds me of me, and that reminds me of you, right? You didn't want to be lectured by the generation before you, and you didn't want to be stereotyped by them, right? It's the age-old thing, every generation after the next. So they don't want to be lectured, they don't want to be stereotyped, but they listen to me. They will listen. They will listen. Remember, they don't know what they don't know. So here's number one. Let me challenge you to seek out younger men and younger women to one-on-one disciple. Let me encourage you and challenge you to seek out younger men and younger women to one-on-one disciple. My wife attends Bible study fellowship on Wednesday mornings. She would, she would fight you tooth and nail for those older ladies in her Bible study group. I feel like those ladies are a part of our family. I feel like they sit around the dinner table with us because I hear her talk about the things that they share and the influence they're having in her life. They're a little bit down the road from where she is. My wife and I are still rearing children, right, as I just explained to you. Some of these ladies are a little bit further down the road from there, and they're just there's godly wisdom that pours out of them. You know? My, my, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, passed away be six years this fall. She doesn't have that mother to be able to pick the phone up and call and ask those questions. Those ladies have become that surrogate in her life in that way. So look for them. You go, well, where, where are they at? When you come to church on the weekends, I promise you, if you look around, they're sitting on the road with you, they're sitting behind you, they're sitting in front of you. So how do I do it? Let me ask you this. Do you like to, go, do you like to eat? How many of you eat daily? Right? How many of you eat on Saturday night or Sunday? Right? Okay, guess what? They eat too. You could invite them to go out to eat or you could invite them to come over to your house where you have a, where you have a chicken casserole already fixed or a pot of chili, right? And just invite them and invite their kids to come over. I was pastoring a church in the, the metro Atlanta area. We first moved there. We just had the three. We had Atlanta, Landon, and Layton. And Layton was about a year old. And Derry and Sonia Peacock were an older couple in our church, and they invited us over for dinner. 
do you know what kind of fear that strikes in the heart of a young mom? And so I, I was like, okay, well, we'll get a child, we'll get, you know, we'll get a babysitter for the kids. And I'm like, no, 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 bring the kids with you. Now, they were old enough to be my grandparents. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, we're coming, but you know what I'm bringing with me. And my wife was like, Michael, we can't do this. I mean, these, they, they, their kids are grown like their grandkids are our age. They hadn't had little ones around the house. What if the boys break something? What if this, what if this, what? I mean, just like the stress level out the roof. So we got there that night, pulled up in the driveway, and I had the whole speech with the family, right? And I reminded the kids, hey, listen, you don't touch anything. You don't look at anything. You just sit there and you be, you be like a porcelain doll. You don't, don't, you, don't you do it. So we walk in the house. And I'm sure they could see the stress on my wife's face. Here we are brand new, like a month at this church, and this is our first invitation over to somebody's house. You know, that can either, if it goes well, you might get more invitations. But if that one goes bad, word spreads, ain't nobody inviting you anywhere. A lot riding on the line with this, right? So we walk in, and, and, and so Derry, he says, he says, hey, Michael, bring the kids and come this way. Of course, I'm grabbing by the hands, <laughs> walking them around. And he flipped the switch on, and you would have thought that Toys R Us had exploded in this room. What we didn't know was that Sonia kept children. She kept children in the afternoon, during the day, and then children after school. She kept several children in her home. And so they had a living room that they had converted into a playroom that had every toy you could imagine. And he looked at my kids and he said, you can play with anything you want and don't worry about it. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I don't hear a word out of you. We spent a lot of time with Darian and Sonia Peacock. Your home is the great equalizer. Invite them to your home. You go, well, we don't have much. It doesn't matter. Invite them. Invite them. Because they don't know that they need you. And when they find out that and we realize that, it won't matter. Secondly, be humble and gracious in sharing your experiences. Remember, nobody likes to be lectured at, rather, but helped, okay? If you tell me something, I'll forget it. If you teach me something, I'll remember it. But if you'll model something for me, I'll live it out. And then thirdly, do for, do for others what you wish had been done for you. Do for others what you wish had been done for you. I have a friend of mine that says it this way. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Because some of us are thinking, man, I, I can't help everybody. That's okay. Just start with one. Just help one. I promise you, there is one young couple like Trisha and I were in this church that needs some help, right? So let's don't hang out here at the cafe on Sunday mornings. Let's mosey on down the aisleway just a little bit and engage some of these younger families, right? And they, and they sit with us in, in church and worship and this kind of thing. Just start to develop a friendship, right? You like to go to eat. They like to go to eat. You like ice cream. They like ice cream. Everybody likes ice cream, right? Let's have a party. The young folks call it chilling. That word has come back. I asked my teenager, just, hey, what you going to do today? Well, I'm going to finish my homework and I'm just going to chill. Now, I want you to know when I hear them say, I'm just going to chill, here's how I translate that. You're going to be lazy for the rest of the day. It's not fair. Because to be honest with you, at 41, almost 42, I like to chill every once in a while too. Yeah? What kind of church are we?
What kind of church are we going to be? Let's be one filled with godly older men and older women who are living out our faith in such a way to influence another generation to be compelled and motivated and encouraged and inspired to live for the glory of God in such a way that they see Jesus in us. They don't see, they don't see good, good things. They don't see, they don't see shiny stuff. They see the glory of Jesus radiating out of our heart and our lives. They see us, they see us walk faithfully with the Lord through the bad times and they see us celebrate on the good times. They see us pour out our life into others and let's not hoard it to ourselves, but let's influence another generation. Why? Because then they're going to one day be sitting here on Tuesday church. They're going to one day be the older generation. And if we don't show them how to do it, then how will they pass it along? We are always one generation from the loss of passing the faith alone. In Jesus name, father, thank you for the sweet privilege to be with my friends this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage and instill in us a commitment and a conviction to live for Christ. Lord, help us to push past the uncomfortableness sometimes of meeting new people for the purpose of loving them and influencing them for Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son in Jesus' name. Amen.